Alrighty, no time to waste, ladies and gentlemen. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Unqualified Analysis, the show with zero credentials that just keeps firing off opinions. I'm your host, Kayla Verzak, and on today's show, I'll be trying out a few new wrinkles that you'll, uh, you'll hear very shortly. But outside of that, got the Grizzlies growing up before our very eyes. Tom Brady is going to die in the film room with a clicker in his hand, and the most metal childbirth story in the history of the planet. But before we get into all of that good stuff, i got a new segment to introduce to y'all. We're starting off today with something a little bit different. It's going to be an NBA weekly recap, which, you know, nothing nothing new here. It's just we're right in the middle of the playoffs. This time, though, going to going to toss it over to my, my trusty new correspondent here, Mike McClanahan. Uh, really going to run down... All of the best games for you get you get you up to date with the highlights. Then I'm gonna come in afterwards and hit you with a little bit of a perspective, so I'm not so much bogged down with the uh, the details of the game here. But uh, yeah, hopefully you enjoy his analysis. I think he's bringing some some very good points to the table. So without further ado, I'd like to introduce to y'all the host of the NBA Weekly Playoff Update Recap, whatever the fuck. I'll work I'll workshop the name. Uh, Mike McClanahan, everybody, joining in. Alrighty, thank you, Caleb. Hello and welcome into the weekly NBA playoff recap where we dive cock first, balls deep, into the week that was in the NBA postseason in the fastest way possible. I'm your host, Mike McClanahan. It's going to be a hot, steamy information dump straight to the temporal lobe by way of the auditory nerve. So let's get right into the action here, folks, because things are heating up like the Daiichi nuclear power plant in 2011. First off, we've got the Eastern Conference. Kicking it off, we've got the one seed, Miami Heat versus the four seed, Philadelphia 76ers, in a series that's been more back and forth than my current divorce proceedings. For now, I'm keeping custody of the kids, friends, but we'll see what the next week brings. It started off in hot, sunny, sultry Miami, a place that could conceivably convince James Harden to quit basketball and live in a strip club mid-series. And it looked like it in games one and two as Harden had the look of a man who was still thinking about all the titties that were in his face the previous night. <laughs> been there before, partner, been there before. Meanwhile, Jimmy Butler continued to be the angriest person making an eight-figure salary in a state with no income tax and year-round warmth on the planet. And it was working for the Heat as they bullied Titty Eyes Harden, Tobias Harris, and leading virologist Matisse Thibel into a 2-0 hole heading back to Philadelphia. But guess who's back? Back again. Embiid's back. And he's pissing in Jimmy Butler's Cheerios again as Joel Embiid returns to the lineup in Game 3 and propels the 76ers to a two-game sweep of their opening homestand of the second round. The series is now tied 2-2, but by the time you clairvoyant witches listen to this one, one of these two groups of absolute savages will have a commanding 3-2 lead in an inside track to the Eastern Conference Finals. Next up in the Eastern Conference, rounding out the Eastern Conference, we got a tale as old as time. 
Irish people versus large game animals. As we've got the two seed Boston Celtics taking on the three seed Milwaukee Bucks. And if the previous series was analogous to my current divorce proceedings, this one is about on the level of Johnny Depp v Amber Heard, minus the modest amount of cocaine. The Celtics are approaching the series with tactical prowess and great defense, while Giannis and the Bucks are approaching the series with the intent to use aggression to solve all of their problems. These two heavyweights have traded blows back and forth, neither team giving an inch. It's only a matter of time before one of these teams drops their hands and gives the other an opportunity to win the series. Who will it be, the fearsome deer coalition of Giannis, Drew, and the mobility king, Brooke Lopez? Or the formidable representatives of the Leprechaun Nation, because we know they're not actually leprechauns. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, Marcus Smart, and the ageless, mobile Al Horford playing solid physical defense? Find out tonight in Game 5 on Wednesday on, I think, think TNT. Either way, moving on to the Western Conference, we've got the one seed, Phoenix Suns versus the four seed, Dally Mavericks, who seem to be reading the same script as the other 1-4 matchup in this round. Hey, in all seriousness, no cheating, guys. Trust me, it, it never turns out well. We got this train rolling in beautiful sunny Phoenix, Arizona, where the only thing hotter than the basketball team is the melting trash cans. The Suns look poised to seize the moment and win a championship this year, just like I'm poised and ready to call the bartender over for another triple of gin and tonic at the end of a long workday or five, am I right? They jumped out to a commanding 2-0 lead as the Mavericks just looked like Luka dragging the dead carcass of his team behind him, while the Suns looked like one well-oiled machine led by the future Hall of Famer and prominent short man syndrome advocate Chris Paul, as well as young studs Kevin Booker and DeAndre Ayton. Devin Booker, that is. I can't say shit. Anyways, however, the machine seems to work better in dry heat of the desert because as soon as they touched down in flat, humid Dallas, Texas, things started to malfunction. Gotta coat those components in a protective layer of grease when you go and go to, to a wetter climate. Rookie mistake on the sun's part, partner. Rookie mistake. Chris Paul decided shooting is for home games. The road is for committing assault while you're not in your home jurisdiction as he attempted to combine a combined 13 shots and committed 10 total fouls in games three and four, fouling out of game four in the early fourth. Meanwhile, Jalen Brunson remembered that he too can shoot the ball as he's come alive on the home court in Dallas, repping for every 50-year-old man at the YMCA that thinks the fundamentals are dead. Scored 28 and 18 in games 3 and 4 respectively, while Luka just continued to be a howitzer firing shot after shot. I say ship him to Kharkiv and tell Zelensky, you're fucking welcome. Now we've got a butt-puckering, tense situation in Game 5 as the series is tied 2-2 heading back to the retirement community in the desert. Bring in AJ Titties to fire the boys up because the Suns need to be on their A-game at home if they want to take a commanding 3-2 lead in the series. 
All I know for sure is the Suns and Four guy is gonna show up ready to throw hands, and so am I, partner. Rounding out the second round matchups, we've got the two seed Memphis Grizzlies versus the three seed Golden State Warriors in a positively violent matchup of claws, teeth, and weapons. Draymond Green got smacked across the face like me last week at the bar when I let my eye linger a little too long on some hot local tail. In both cases, stitches were required. And in both cases, it ended with the guy who got slapped flipping off the surrounding patrons on the way to stop the profuse bleeding from his face. Then, Dylan Brooks of the Grizzlies decided he'd waited long enough to maul an unsuspecting victim as he chased down Gary Payton II in transition and attempted to decapitate him on live television. Bears like to go for the head first. Makes a lot of sense when you think about it, partner. Luckily, Payton's head is just fine, but elbow was broken in the midst of the bloodlust, and he'll be out a month as a result. Brooks was suspended for Game 4, but there's no guarantee of safety when you've got a wild grizzly on the loose. Meanwhile, Petty Officer Jordan Poole of the 2nd Artillery Division of the Warriors decided to retaliate with a few more subversive tactics. He hit Alpha Grizzly John Morant with a textbook kneecapitation that knocked the Great Beast out for at least Game 4. And an update on that, he'll be out for the rest of the series. Overall, Warriors have weapons, while Grizzlies have claws and sheer brute force, and it's shown as the Warriors lead the series 3-1 with a chance to finish off their Ursine foes tonight in Game 5 at Memphis. Well, that's all for your weekly NBA recap. Next week, we'll be back to wrap up the second round and get you horned up and ready to go for the conference finals. I'm Mike McClanahan, and until next time, Stay safe out there. Mary, please don't take the kids from me. They're all I have. All righty. Well, thank you, Mike McClanahan. Thank you for all that, that good analysis you got there. Hope you all out there enjoyed that one. He's a guy we'll be bringing in probably once a week from here through the offseason. Certainly going to be talking a whole lot about basketball because, as you can tell, guy is quite enthusiastic on that subject. But he'll probably be talking a little bit more on uh, baseball. Hey, maybe he'll even start recapping the weeks of football, see how the uh, how the offseason goes. But either way, moving right from that uh, that excellent, excellent recap that uh, my boy Mike McClanahan just gave you to a uh, little bit of stories of the week in the NBA, a little bit of overall contextualization. I feel like this is a, a better way to kind of cut past the, the, the standard bullshit and kind of get to what I'm thinking about each of these series instead of spending all this time on a recap. I think Mike McClanahan's doing a great job. going to probably continue to outsource that job to him going forward. But I think I'm just going to go through each of these series, go through uh, major themes that I see. Uh, starting off with the Grizzlies-Warriors series, currently 3-1 in favor of the Warriors. Uh, I believe that Game 5 is being played tonight as you are listening to this or as this comes out. Who the hell knows when you're actually listening to this? But the main thing that I'm seeing, even though it's a 3-1 de deficit, the Grizzlies continue to put their chippy signature on the game, even though they're down by this 3-1 margin. I mean, you just heard our correspondent on the ground, Mike McClanahan, laid out for you there beautifully. But uh, I want to take a moment myself and acknowledge just how impressed I am with this Grizzlies team. Um, obviously, can't condone what Dylan Brooks did there. I mean, I... 
My my friend Mike McClanahan really really uh, laid it out well for you there. But listen, guys, there there should have been a game stopping brawl after he injured Gary Payton the second like that. Uh, I know I'm usually big into the physical play and, and hard fouls aspect, but there's a certain point where you've got a you've you've clearly crossed the line and consequences have to be doled out. This is one of those situations you need to get one of the big uglies on the uh, on the Warriors. Get fucking Kevon Looney out there. He's probably putting up what like fucking seven minutes a night at this point. Send him out there. Send out the goons. Get a get a good ejection in there. Play it like hockey, you know. Send a guy out there to be thrown out. Fires up the team. Uh, you're sticking up for your guy. Uh, I would imagine there's not going to be a whole lot of bullshit fouls like you saw from uh, Dylan Brooks there. If you know, there's more goons on the bench just throwing hands if need be. Just a thought. Just a thought. I feel like we should be paying more goons in the NBA. Uh, with that said, however, Grizzlies have forced the Warriors to play their style in three of the four games thus far. Um, Game three is the only one that I can remember where they uh, they got away from their style. Um, Warriors really blew them out, scored 140 on them. Um, High-scoring affair there where they still ended up losing by 30 just because you can't you can't hope to score with the Warriors. But those other three games, they kept the Warriors to a, a fairly manageable total of points and really they played a slow, physical style of play that the Grizzlies want to play They've just been getting by with, ultimately, their their experience in the matchup. I mean, Ja is likely out for the rest of the playoffs with a bone bruise. Otherwise, I think the Grizzlies would have a legit shot to knock off the Warriors here. But even so, the way that they've imposed their will on a three-time champion has been absolutely nothing short of impressive for me. Um, and as far as that Ja Moran injury, I'm just going to stop off on it right away. Um, no, I don't think Jordan Poole twisted his knee, uh, twisting his knee, quote unquote, is what injured Morant. In fact, I, one, don't think he grabbed the knee on purpose. Uh, looked to me like Poole was just trying to swipe at the ball and, and missed. I mean, that's pretty clearly like he's swiping down, not a fucking millisecond earlier, the ball was right there in John Morant's other hand, but hey, I mean, he's just such a, a quick ball handler, just was out of nowhere it's it's nowhere to be found right away and you know what when that happens you're you're swiping down on nothing you you tend to hit a knee sometimes but that that just it is what it is he just missed the ball and two i don't think that play had a single thing to do with morant's injury i mean it was a light it was a love tap if anything also it wasn't like it wasn't like he hit john morant's knee when he was like fucking relaxed or something where he could like really mess up the um the, the kneecap there, get it out of place. No, I mean, the, the knee was, like, flexed. Everything was held in place. I mean, obviously, I'm not an anatomy expert, but the fucking, the kneecap is much harder to move when your muscles around it are flexed when the knee itself is bent. So, I mean, this was a big old nothing thing. I think there was a play earlier where John Morant, like, banged his knee on the ground that I think a lot of people on the internet have, have pinpointed as probably the place that he got injured. Um... Now that we've addressed Jaws' well-thought-out uh, conspiracy theories, though, back to my praising of the Grizzlies. Regardless of how the series ultimately ends, their performance here is something that I think sets the stage for the next five years of Grizzlies basketball in all likelihood. They've shown they have a viable regular season identity, playing their way into a two-seed with nasty defense, relentless trash talk, and a heavy dose of Ja Morant, obviously. I mean, if you got a guy like Ja Morant on your team... Um, how can you not give a heavy dose of that guy? That dude's a, the very definition of 
here for a good time, not a long time. I mean, you can't be fucking a buck seventy soaking wet, dunking on every fool that happens to get in your way and expect to play for a long time in this league at a high level. I mean, just look at the late career of uh, Russell Westbrook here. I mean, he is degraded before our very eyes. I mean, th- I think you could see a similar career trajectory with uh, John Morant here in this one. Um, regardless, though, they had their struggles in the previous round against a resurgent T-Wolf squad, but ultimately they dialed it in when it mattered most. Um, they had those struggles, I believe it was 2-2, and then Grizzlies just flew away with it. Won two straight, won the series in six, um, sent the T-Wolves packing with basically the style of play that I just laid out. Physical defense, uh, playing consistently in the paint, uh, controlling things on that end of the floor. Now they've by and large translated that physicality and toughness from the regular season to a series against the three-time champs, forcing the old legends to play their rough-and-tumble style. I think this series announces the arrival of the Memphis Grizzlies as a legit contender in the West for years to come, even though they're down 3-1 at this point. I mean, it's a very... Not all three ones are created equal, and three of these four games thus far have been absolute bangers, with the exception of that uh, that one, one eensy-weensy little game three that happened there. But outside of that, I mean, it's been close, hard-fought games, really come right down to the wire on all of them. So the, the way that they've been able to hang with the three-time champs, I mean, a Warriors team that Hell, a lot of analysts are now picking to go to the finals because they've been so hot this postseason. The way they've played him, or played them specifically, um, they've molded an identity through fire over the last few seasons, but kept kept that identity when bullets were flying in the playoffs now this season. Now I think they're ready to make the next step to challenge the Suns and Warriors for supremacy in the West going forward from here. I mean... To do this against a team like the Warriors, I can't stress enough. It's one thing to do it in the regular season and get all that success. I mean, you saw it. You saw it happen with like various different teams. I mean, the Toronto Raptors, um, the Miami Heat without LeBron James even have had a whole lot of regular season success, but uh, limited postseason success even in a, in a whole lot of uh, circumstances. I think you can really see with the way they've played this round. I can really see the Memphis Grizzlies growing up before my very eyes. All I can hope for, though, and I think we can all agree on this one, is more John Morant on my TV. As long as that happens, I think the fans will win. Will all win at the very least. Moving on to the Celtics versus Bucks, though, we've got the uh, early battle for the East. The Celtics versus Bucks series has been absolutely. A back-and-forth slugfest, ladies and gentlemen. You've got two of the best defenses for my money in the NBA and the two best teams in the entire playoffs as far as I'm concerned. Uh, whether they face the Heat or the Sixers in the next round, I think whoever comes out of this Bucks celtics matchup is going to end up taking the East and representing the conference in, in the finals this year. If the Bucks win, they'd likely get Chris Middleton back. And with him, they'd either simply overwhelm the 76ers with talent or face the Heat in what I would imagine would be a tough physical series, ultimately won by the Bucks in either 6 or 7. That would be my... Mm. Either way, I think as long as the Heat end up making the Eastern Conference Finals, I think that series is going to be absolute fuego fire flames. Would love to see it. 
Uh, the worst thing that could happen right now is for the 76ers to pull off an upset as far as I'm concerned. The Sixers are not a team that is that's going to get you deep this year. We'll talk about them a little bit later, though. I mean, you're you're going to find out not not in the greatest detail in the world. It's a bit of a fucking scatterbrain podcast this week. Not the best week of writing, uh, but I digress on that front. Um, if the Celtics win, they too would likely overwhelm the 76ers, like I said, which is essentially why I'm saying just root for the Heat in the other series. That, that's all I got to say there. Just just root for the fucking Heat. Um, if the Celtics win, win, though, they would uh, overwhelm the Sixers, um, that, or they would face the Heat in what would likely be the lowest scoring series in the playoffs this year, bar none. I mean, the two, I mean, the Bucks have been an excellent defense this postseason, but the Heat have been historically a great defense year in, year out for hell. How long has Pat Riley been there? I mean, fucking years. They are always good on that side of the ball. Um, honestly, in this scenario, unless Jason Tatum is otherworldly, I think it may actually just be a pick 'em between the Celtics and the Heat in that one. I mean, that's a that's a ready-made seven-game series. If that went any less, I would be fucking shocked. But I mean, anyways, that that's looking ahead too much. Keeping our eyes on this series right now. Bottom line is that this second-round matchup right now will likely set the the barometer for how the rest of the postseason is going to shake out in the East. This right here is the peak of what NBA playoffs has to offer. Pretty much every game has been close and hard fought. No team has been able to win two straight. We'll see if that trend holds by the time this is released. Um, Happening right now. So let me get an update on that in just a second to get a gauge on how I should talk about this. Thank you, Mike, for clarifying what's happening right now. And as of the time of this recording, it looks like the the Heat have a commanding lead. Commanding, I say. Uh, 81 to 63 heading into the, uh, the fourth quarter. Oh, that noted virologist Matisse Thibel just entered the game to end the uh, the third here. Anyways, back to uh, what I was saying. Looks like the Heat are about to take a commanding 3-2 lead in that series. So, hey, good news for all the watchers that are that are uninvested. I mean, sorry, Philly fans. I mean, at the end of the day, it is what it is for y'all. I mean, y'all have had a, had a tough go. But, but, hey, you won a championship here recently in football. I mean, it, it is what it is. Y'all get over it. Um... That being said, friends, sit back, enjoy, because this is going seven games pretty much no matter what, and it's likely going to be a better matchup than any other series in this postseason. So Celtics, Bucks, we're about to see what's about to happen this weekend. Hope it's that the only thing I hope is that it's great games. I, I just hope everyone has a fun time and it, it's all good. Anyways, moving moving down the list, because obviously I'm out of shit to say there. Uh, Luka might be even better than I thought he was. Uh, in the 1-4 matchup, we've got a surprise to your boy here. The Suns and Mavs are tied 2-2 after Luka Doncic threw the team on his back while the Suns' major core pulled a disappearing act for the most part. I mean, Jay Crowder was a leading scorer for the Suns in Game 3. Devin Booker was the only player with a, even a, a semblance of a pulse on offense in Game 4, scoring 35 of the team's 101 points. That's a quick math, just below 35% of the team's uh, point production, not even including in assists, if you're counting at home there. Uh, Chris Paul fouled out midway through the fourth quarter in that one. Five points at the end of the game. Not a not a great uh, two game two game stretch for him. Uh, we'll have to see. Have to wait and see the night I'm recording this whether the Suns can recapture some of that early series momentum. 
bottom line for me is though I knew Luca was damn good, but I think I may have even underestimated his level of greatness. Quite honestly, he's cooled off from his torrid pace in, in games one and two. There's no denying that uh, in the shooting category that is, uh, but his impact on the game was felt in just about every other phase of the game in this uh, last homestand, games three and four. He averaged a triple-double in that stretch with uh, 10 assists and 10 rebounds per game and assists, in, in, in addition to, listen, <laughs> with the way the guy just continues to shoot shot after shot, I mean, like my friend McClanahan said earlier, the guy just fires off shot after shot like a howitzer, but like, so he's gonna get double-digit points. Impressively, to have double-digit assists and double-digit rebounds per game during that stretch, uh, awesome. I mean, really mind-boggling when you think about it. Not to mention, he's been making an impact on the defensive end as well, collecting two and a half steals per game during that current two-game win streak. He's not been shooting particularly efficiently, like I alluded to, um, during this two-game win streak, but the emphasis on all other fat... But with the emphasis on all other facets on the game, specifically distributing the ball, uh, he's allowed guys like Jalen Brunson and Dorian Finney-Smith to make Big contributions when called upon, um, especially Jalen Brunson. He has come alive in this homestand in, in uh, Dallas. I mean, I've I raved about him in the in his performance in the previous rounds. Um, cooled off in games one and two, but the way he's come out in games three and four, again, not the most efficient shooting performances in the world, but he's putting up absolute points, getting to the line, uh, shooting when he's called upon. All he needs to be right now is a is a viable second option with the way Luca is playing because he is playing absolutely out of his mind in this series right now. I think we've always kind of known that in the playoffs, Luca can get you a bucket anytime. He's a natural, naturally inclined in the most high leverage situations to throw up a shot. I mean, it's just it is what it is. But he's shown us in he's shown us all in this series uh, versus the Suns. That he can adapt his game to hurt you in, in any way he needs in order to win a game. I mean, you want to you want to pack the paint, hound Luca with extra defenders, and force him into tough deep shots. I mean, yeah, admittedly he'll jack up a few head scratchers in there because that's just kind of part of who he is. Uh, but he'll also find open teammates as well. And I mean, some of those tough shots he will make. That's part of his game is he makes tough shots. Kind of a Kind of a younger James Harden with, a, I think, a bit more of a, the basketball IQ side. I mean, James Harden, no no offense to him. I think he has a great basketball IQ, but I think it's more based around the concepts of insurance fraud rather than, well, you know, I can't even say that about Luka. The guy's lobbying for fouls and flopping all the damn time. So, I mean, really, it really is kind of the spitting image of James Harden when you look at it. He takes a whole lot of tough shots that look really pretty on a film, scores a whole lot of points by being a volume shooter. Um, the difference is, I think Lucas hit his peak way, way earlier than um, James Harden ever did. And hey, I don't even know if he's he's hit his peak yet. Um, either way, uh, the passes that he is throwing that aren't assists, either way, getting back to that aspect of his, his game, are still setting up guys in great positions uh, to attack the defense. Not to mention, he's shown with his play in this series that while he'll probably never be the elite defensive force like a like a Jason Tatum or Jimmy Butler is, uh, he can still make major contributions on that end of the court uh, by being an opportunistic guy. Um, 
He's been consistently getting multiple steals recently. Just talked about it, getting two and a half steals per game, which has led to more easy baskets on the other end, um, lower scores from the Suns. They're getting all that they can take on that side of the uh, the ball there. Uh, he's flawed for sure, but Luka has got enough in the postseason. He's shown us enough in the postseason, rather, to tell me that you can certainly build a championship team with him running the offense, being the number one option for you. It's clearly evident in the fact that they've even been able to hang with this this battle-tested Suns team. I mean, they just went to the finals last year. And I said before the series that the Mavs don't have a single player that can guard Aiton. They're outgunned at basically every position, every positional matchup across the board outside of Luka. And yet they find themselves tied heading into Game 5, where they have a chance to take a commanding 3-2 series lead. The mark of a truly great player, in my mind, is just that. It's the ability to take an under-talented team, uh, a group that has no business being in a series, and having them compete at the highest of high levels. I mean, MJ did it in Chicago before Scotty emerged as an All-Star. I mean, you think about the teams that he led... Before Scotty got there, I mean, he was scoring like 35, 37 a game over the course of an entire like regular season. And then in the playoffs, I mean, fucking forget it. He was doing basically uh, what what Luka was doing just at a, at a better clip because, you know, it's, it's Michael fucking Jordan. Uh, LeBron did it season after season with the Cavs, particularly in his first stint with the Cavs. I remember quite clearly and quite vividly... One season where he got the one seed in the East, got, I believe, 63, 64, 65 wins, somewhere in that area, and the second offensive option on that team was, say it with me, ladies and gentlemen, Antoine Jameson. Yup, everyone knows and loves that that good old Antoine Jameson, and I'm not talking about the Antoine Jameson that scored like 20 a game back in the day for, I think, I, I can't re- quite remember what team, that was quite honestly before my time, but either way, no, 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 this was, this was old, decrepit Antoine Jameson, who, uh, could not do anything, it was just LeBron basically doing what Jokic is doing right now with the, with the Nuggets, another prime example, he got that team to a a sixth seed this year, when it's basically Jokic and a bunch of G League players, essentially, outside of, like, Will Barton out there, so, (laughs) so, I mean, Again, we can even go down the list more. Chris Paul even deserves some credit uh, in this category by getting that abjectly awful, awful, I say, OKC roster into the playoffs in his one season with that team. The very next season, I believe they ended up having a top five pick in the NBA draft because their team was that bad. Now we're seeing Luka do the exact same thing as all of those guys with this Mavs roster. I love Jalen Brunson, but he's truly, truly the only offensive threat on that roster uh, outside of Luka. So I just hope Mark Cuban can use his master salesmanship, uh, art of the deal, bullshit, whatever the hell they fucking call it, uh, those skills to get another true star to Dallas and play alongside Luka. I mean, come on, guy. It cannot be... I, what What is the holdup here? What is the difficult sell? You were in a state with no state income tax. You got basically... I mean, not not guaranteed year-round warmth, but it's like, it's it's more or less like living in Florida to a certain extent, like central to southern Florida, where you're going to get some cold days in there, but by and large, the winter is fairly balmy, especially if you're coming from up north. If you're coming from up north, 
That that fucking deep south winter is big old pussy shit. But in addition to that, you got a no state income tax to state. In the NBA, where all of these contracts are guaranteed, I mean, you, you basically got what? Three options at this point if you're trying to go to uh, no state income tax. Oh, sorry, four options at this point if you're trying to go to no state income tax states for uh, NBA teams. You got the the Grizzlies, which admittedly solid option nowadays. You're going to be having a whole lot of competition there, but still, it's it's Memphis. I think you can get a whole lot of players that maybe maybe want to come. That I'm I don't even know what I'm saying. I mean, it's it's like. Memphis is a great town. I fucking, I love Memphis. If for no other reason than it reminds me of like Baltimore in the South, it's like they basically just like transplanted every aspect of what makes Baltimore like awesome and weird and a little bit frightening and then just transported that into the South with like Southern accents and Southern people. I mean, I cannot stress it though. I fucking, I love the vibes of Memphis. I, I, I love the place. It fucking, it scares me sometimes, but I, but I do love the place. That being said, if you're ask, being asked to choose between Memphis and Dallas, I do believe most players are going to choose Dallas. Outside of Memphis, though, you got the Florida teams, you got Miami Heat, which, hey, great team, but also it's basically like going to the Patriots in football where it's like, yeah, you're going to probably win, but I don't know if you have enough talent to actually win a championship. And you're going to fucking hate your life because this is the most intense program in all of basketball. So it's either them or the other other valid, valid option in Florida is the Orlando Magic, which, whew, whew. Hey, if you choose that, um, I just know that basketball was not the deciding factor for you. I'll, I'll just put it that way. Um, either way, the point is, Mark Cuban, find a way to get somebody there alongside Luka to get a championship roster together, they're not that far off. If they find a way to bring in a Dame Lillard or other similar caliber uh, a talent there, I can't really think of anyone that's going to be available this offseason outside of Dame Lillard off the top of my head. I think the Mavs, this Mavs team with Luka has what it takes to make a serious push in the West next season. Um, and honestly, I mean, they, they do have Luka for a long, long time, but they should be operating like the clock is ticking um, the longer they wait, the less less opportunity they're going to have for a championship. They're entering a new era of uh, parity, I guess you could say, in the NBA. And this is the perfect time for Mark Cuban and the Mavs to capitalize. Interested to see what they end up doing this offseason. But <laughs> moving into the final, uh, final series of this uh, opening, not opening round, but fucking second round, I guess fucking... Take a thought. I don't know what the fuck you would even call this section, but the, the stories of the week, I guess. Uh, Embiid and Harden pull a, pull an Undertaker, come back from the dead to come and tie the series with the Heat two two. Just when it appeared the 76ers were gonna wilt and die under the onslaught from the Miami Heat, uh, Joel Embiid donned the Batman mask to save the day, and James Harden rose from the fucking grave like the Undertaker to reel off two straight wins on their home court to tie this thing up at two apiece, heading into Miami. Uh, going into the series, I predicted the Heat to win in six if Joel Embiid was playing. And I'm, you know, I'm a man of my word. I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stick with that. Going to go down with the ship on that prediction. But Harden, the Harden revival from the dead has thrown a shade of doubt on that expectation to a certain extent. I'm not, 
not not abandoning ship just yet, but I see an iceberg in the distance, and I'm unsure whether we're going to be able to navigate out of the way in time before it rips a massive hole in the hull of the ship here. So, Harden by himself is just not the Harden we watched in Houston anymore. Plain and simple. I mean, he's not a guy that's really really going to uh, to to scare you anymore at this point in his career. He's lost his quickness. He's wildly inconsistent with his shooting. And he's liable to defer to his teammates uh, to shoot the ball at times as well just because, I mean, it just doesn't seem like he has the gas to put up 20-plus shots a night anymore, which, I mean, both a blessing and a curse, I guess. I mean, it's better than what the alternative problem has been for James Harden in the past where he's putting up, like, 30 shots, making about 10 of those, and the team is losing by fucking 15 points or something like that. Um, that being said, when he's the only option basically for offense and you need him to carry the team, that's that's not a formula that's going to work out well. If you're shooting 5 for 13, that's not necessarily a stat line as the number one offensive threat. It's going to get you basically anywhere at this time. But with Embiid on the court, however, I mean, the thing... The, the whole game just changes for Harden. He's a different player entirely. All of a sudden, he has space to operate on the outside. He scores more efficiently, distributes the ball more effectively. I mean, the, so the Sixers minus Embiid is no problem for the Heat, but adding Embiid to the fold makes everyone on that team better, starting with Harden. Maybe even better than I expected. I certainly expected the Heat to be walking into game five with a 3-1 lead, quite honestly, at this point. I just expected... You know, Sixers steal one in there, push the game six if they have Embiid. Uh, doesn't look like that's happening right now. I have to get an update on the, on the game at some point. That being said, you guys already know how that game turned out. I mean, either the, the Heat are up 3-2, which it looks like that's going to happen, or the Sixers made a miraculous comeback, and I just made a fool of myself on pre-recorded podcast. Almost said TV, but there's no visual component to this fucking show. Um, either way... <clears throat> 76ers win game five, uh, somehow pull off a miracle and grab that 3-2 lead. It's hard to see the series coming back to Miami, quite honestly, for game seven. Doesn't look like that's going to end up being a problem. Uh, Miami looks like they are in full control of uh, game game five right now, looking to take that commanding 3-2 series lead for themselves. But that being said... This has all been one mildly pointless diatribe to tell you that the series hinges on Game 5, which is popping off as I record in this closet. Uh, big, states tonight, big stakes tonight for Miami, and I think they've certainly played like it. But that is it for the the, the NBA. Fucking stumbling over my words, falling, <laughs> falling face first at the finish there. Anyways, moving out of the NBA next week, we will be getting into... Conference Finals matchups, and my boy, Mike McClanahan, my new favorite correspondent, is going to be coming in to wrap up those second-round matchups for you. Now, moving down the list of uh, headlines today, I'm uh, going to quickly run through some uh, NFL offseason headlines. We are back to a bit of a, a normal offseason pace on that front with just a few different... Uh, I mean, some big headlines, some minor headlines, just kind of trickling in. Not nearly like the uh, the draft frenzy we had there. Gonna be, <laughs> we're gonna be jonesing for some real uh, football here in a few months. But right now, I'm just happy to be chilling out, doing some more uh, off season type of content here. Just just chilling out, just you and me talking to each other. I'm letting you know about sports. I would say we're talking about sports, but it'd be a really 
really a bad conversation if it's just me talking to you. Unless you're like me and you like to talk out loud like the fucking people on podcasts can hear you while you're in the car. I mean, I think I just told on myself for being a weirdo there. But I digress. Moving into the NFL headlines, right down the list here, we have got uh, Tom Brady going to die in the fill room when he's 120 at some point. I mean, it's it's a fucking inevitability. Um, what's sealed it in my mind, like I'm sure the rest of you out there can probably draw, connect the dots from A to B here. Um, not sure he signed, but or, not sure if he signed or agreed to it in principle, but he's got a 10-year, I think it's $375 million deal in place to become uh, an analyst for Fox Sports after he retires from, from football. I don't know if that is to be the booth analyst or a studio analyst, but if you're paying a guy $37.5 million a year, um, I would assume that's the guy on the primetime slot in the booth for uh, three to four hours a night. Um, on Sundays, once a week, um, every single week, or whenever it is, I, I don't know, um, e Sundays, yeah, yeah, Sundays, either way, I'm fucking jumping around in my brain, but it's a move that makes a lot of sense for all parties involved here, um, also, gotta mention Fox Sports, he's doing it for Fox Sports, so he's gonna be probably doing that, that prime time slot, that 425 slot with whoever the hell happens to be the, uh, the play-by-play -play guy there, um, Honestly, like I like I was saying though, it's a move that makes a lot of sense for all parties involved. Obviously, Fox Sports gets a guy that is just an absolute stud. I mean, one of a one of one when it comes to the football mind. I mean, it's like him and Peyton Manning. Um, there's just a, a a class of QBs that I think can talk about the game at a level that I mean, it's it's above a doctorate level. It's like the smartest people among the PhDs. Like if you if you would consider the people that make it to the NFL and stay for a long time, like the veterans, pretty much every veteran, unless they're just an absolute freak of fucking nature, um, has stayed in the league because they're they're a smart player. I think there there's very very few exceptions, and they have to be very very exceptional to uh, be exceptions to this rule, but. By and large, if you get to a certain point, you're basically like a PhD in football. Um, all these all these veterans, like you know, after five six years, usually it, certainly if you get to those ten year veterans, they know the game at just a different level. Obviously, elite QBs are on even, an even different level than that. And then on this pedestal, basically by themselves, is Tom Brady and Peyton Manning. I mean, just being prodigies. I mean, there's really no other way to no other way to put it mentally when it comes to this game. They just see it and break it down and know it better than anyone else. And to have that presence in your your Sunday primetime booth, I mean, I could not think of a better scenario to uh, really risk your money on. Put your neck out there. Why not? I mean, if if he comes in, first off, he's Tom fucking Brady. So at the very least, he's gonna put asses in seats. You're gonna get eyes watching the program, which is the main thing from Fox's perspective. But even more than that, I think he's a guy that is going to take this thing seriously, too. Like, he's a guy that if he if he fires on all cylinders, his brain's fully into it, which I think Brady will be, I think he can break down the game at a level that, I mean, fucking, he's going to replace Tony Romo, that's for sure. I mean, not, obviously they're different networks, but he's going to replace Tony Romo as the guy that can just fucking predict shit and break it down on the fly like nobody else because he's, you know, 
Tony Romo's a borderline Hall of Famer. Tom Brady's the greatest fucking player that has ever lived. Um, that being said, though, speaking broadly just about the the class that Brady and Peyton Manning are in, I mean, when you get to that level of greatness, greatness frankly, and straight-up wealth, uh, you pretty much have the right to do whatever you want after you retire. I mean, look at Peyton Manning. He's created a documentary TV show. Uh, he's participated in simulcast for, uh, a simulcast of the Monday Night Football uh, that was more popular than the main program, and he sold products for every company under the sun, all on his own terms, all after he retired. So, I mean, and even more than that, I think Tom Brady is considered, I mean, pretty pretty clearly a better overall player than Peyton Manning was. I mean, that being said, I mean, Peyton Manning is still head and shoulders a better QB than pretty much anyone else in, in the uh, the league history outside of, uh, of Brady, that, that being said. So, you know, he, he's great, but that, that's just how great Brady is. He's even a step above that. So, I mean, you've earned respect. you got to respect Brady's choice to go straight from directing directly injecting football into his brain 16 hours a day, seven days a week as a player, uh, to putting in slightly less time but still a tremendous amount of work calling games or being a, a studio analyst for that matter. Um Definitely, I mean, you saw Peyton kind of stayed working, but he went out and branched out, did his own thing. Uh, it's a very Brady move, though, to just stay. I want to do football. I don't know what I am without football. I'm just going to keep going. Uh, usually, you see a guy take a break from the game, like I said, to pursue other business interests. It's not a surprise to me that Brady chose this route based on his uh, his past decisions, though. You think about it. Giselle has all but publicly and explicitly been asking Brady to retire for the past, like, seven years. Probably, like, I can remember, like, fucking, since I've been in high school, Giselle's just been publicly subtweeting, like, through the media to Tom, like, hey, man, can you, can you like, watch the kids from time to time? Like, I, I, I feel like, you know, maybe you're, you're missing some time with the kids. Like, I, what, what, what more do you got to do right now? Like, that's been the past, like, seven, eight years, maybe in, like, the past decade or so that Giselle's been on this train. The man could drop off the grid tomorrow and be set for the rest of his life monetarily. He's won countless Super Bowls. I mean, hell, after the age of 40, I think he's won two or three at least. I mean, just an absolute mind-boggling stat. Uh, At this point, he's indisputably the greatest player in NFL history. Literally, the only thing that is keeping Brady on the field at this point is his obsessive and relentless addiction and love uh, to the game of football. Uh, so it just, it makes a lot of sense that the guy is going to roll straight from working himself, working, from overworking himself, rather, on the football field to overworking himself slightly less in the film room exclusively. Above all else, though, I am excited to see how Brady does in this role. I honestly can't think of a guy who would be better suited to excel in the broadcasting world directly following his career. I said it already. I, I think he's just going to channel all that energy that he puts into football right now that it takes to be the savant that he is on the field mentally. I think he's going to channel that, I mean, and then some because he doesn't have an outlet on the field into being the best analyst he can possibly be. I don't think this is going to be a Jason Witten situation where he's stumbling all over his words. I think Tom Brady's going to step in right away, day one, and be a fucking sensation in the booth. Who knows when that's going to be, though. It could be after this season, which I think it probably will end up being, or hell, it could be in two or three years from now. It's, 
it's it's all yet to be seen at this point. Either way, excited to see how Brady ends up doing that role whenever he does decide to call it a career. Next up, the NFL announces their international games for the upcoming season. Full schedule announcement is coming this Thursday. I think May 12th? Kind of put myself in a corner there. Um, either way, uh, it's got a game, three games in London, one on October 2nd, one on October 9th, one on October 30th. On the 2nd, kicking off the season in hot fashion in London, we have got my boys, the Vikings, going against the vaunted Saints defense hype, hype, hype matchup to show these beautiful people in Tottenham. Should be a matchup of two solid squads in the NFC. Great showcase. Great showcase for the game to kick off the season in Europe. Um, from there, we're going back to a, a bit more of a, a regular Europe matchup in uh, Tottenham Hotspur Stadium. Same stadium as the Vikings played in the previous week on October 9th. We have got the Giants playing the Packers. Um, probably going to get a whole lot of old Brett Favre jerseys in the stands. Uh, that being said, the, I think the London fans are pretty much just like, yeah, I mean, I'm just going to wear whatever NFL gear I have to this game and don't really know who's playing, but you know, I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna have fun at this game. You know, <laughs> that's just kind of the that's kind of how the uh, how the Europeans have seen it. They're they don't exactly know what's going on in football. <laughs> just I'll just put it that way. Uh, they they cheer on kickoffs. I mean, obviously everyone loves the big hits. So I mean, that's a that's a unifier right there. But I mean, they don't know when to cheer. They don't know if touchdowns are good. <clears throat> they cheer more for field goals than they do for touchdowns. Uh, the kickers are just absolute specimens to them, which is hilarious because they are probably, well, definitely in most cases the the worst athletes on the team. I mean, outside of the outside of the long snapper, long snappers got a, a case to make in a lot of uh, a lot of circumstances for being a a subpar athlete, let's say. But that being said, rambling on that one, October thirtieth, we are back to old faithful in London Wembley Stadium as the Broncos are at the Jags. Yes, at the Jags because let's let's face it, guys, the Jags are already London's home team. Let's let's just be let's just get it out open in the honest here. Um, I know that there's a lot of people that want to, well, obviously there's not a whole lot of people, otherwise that there there would be people in the stands, but I know there's people that want to keep <clears throat> the Jags in, um, in Jacksonville. Um, that being said, they sell out the stadium literally every time they've been in London. They've been in London more than literally any other team. Um, the NFL is going to expand to London at some point. I mean, I know Jim Irsay is a guy that... Uh, is a guy that likes to be very boisterous, very outgoing with what he says. Um, that being said, I, he is one of the 32 NFL owners, and he made no bones about it in his uh, his interview, I think about a week and a half ago at this point, um, saying that he wants the NFL to expand. The NFL has to expand. Um, compared their revenue with um, with Amazon, I think he said they were that the NFL was grossing 22 billion per year. Um, while Amazon was grossing something like two hundred billion per year, I I don't know. That could be one hundred percent completely wrong. Just pulled that out of my ass. But uh, <laughs> either way, the Jags are the fucking home team in Wembley Stadium. In Wembley Stadium, we should probably just be handing out free Jags jerseys at the door for these fans because they're gonna be needing them here in a few years, anyways. When Shad Khan moves that shit over there, anyhow. 
But new game to add to the roster here. We have got a game in Munich, Germany. Um, big, big football presence there with the uh, the NFL Europe. I believe they have a, a league over there that's kind of kind of a, a minor thing. I don't know if it's still going on or if it kind of kind of folded. But the Germans do love football, and I believe that's probably due to the um, American military presence there over the years. They got a, a long-standing um, military base there. I believe, like really, ever since the the end of World War II, it was it was a necessity there during the Cold War, based on based on what was happening in in Berlin and all that stuff. Um, you got East and <laughs> East and West Germany, so that was a that, that was a necessity back then. Now it's just, you know, it's 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 a post that's just been there for the longest time. Uh, the Americans that have been there have kind of integrated their culture with the local culture, which ha- that's come with the love of football. And I think it's a, a great uh, great new place for the NFL to expand to. I don't know if this is the first uh, game they're doing in Munich, but I think it's the first of, of many for sure. Uh, but they're, they're sending the Seahawks and the Buccaneers there in in. In true, true typical uh, European game fashion, usually either two terrible teams or one bad team and one really good team, and that's, you know, the, the latter situation has held up here. Seahawks versus Buccaneers, I would expect the Bucks to bulldoze the Seahawks. The Seahawks are playing for that number one uh, overall pick this year. Not, not, not great on that front. But moving on to a bit more of a spicy game, though, in Mexico City, at Estadio Azteca, we've got the 49ers versus the Cardinals. Don't think I can do that accent. Sorry about that, guys. Um, <laughs> either way, on November 21st, uh, also that last one in Munich, November 13th at the 9 a.m. hour. Um, on November 21st, though, uh, we got a night game at Estadio Azteca, a fucking banging, raucous atmosphere if they can figure out the field conditions. Um... I am pumped for this game. 49ers versus Cardinals. Um, it's late in the year, so it's going to be a, a matchup with a lot of divisional um, implications, potentially. I mean, I would assume the Cardinals are going to be right there. 49ers are probably going to be right there with, with Kyle Shanahan as well. Either way, that NFC West division always seems to produce bomb-ass interdivisional matchups. I mean, whether it's 49ers, Cardinals, uh, fucking... Really back myself in a corner here. Rams, Rams, Seahawks has been a historically great rivalry. I mean, Rams, even when under Jeff Fisher, um, Jeff Fisher basically kept his job by just beating the hell out of the teams in the division and then just kind of falling apart everywhere else. So, I mean, that this NFC West division has been one of the more competitive divisions in all of football. And bringing that type of game to Mexico City. Mexico City, by the way, Again, they're going to have to figure out the one the political situation and two the the rampant cartel violence that that occurs in the, in uh in Mexico nowadays. But outside of that, they're going to end up moving a team to Mexico City at some point. I would imagine in the future as well. I mean, another another fucking place if they can play in Estadio Azteca every week. I mean, they're probably going to have to update it. There's probably going to have to be some big money that comes in renovates the place, makes it look a little bit nicer. But fuck, that place is what, 150,000 seater? I mean, it's basically like a NASCAR stadium. And the Mexican fans, I mean, they've done some horrible, despicable things in the past. I can think distinctively in the context of soccer, um, throwing like bags of piss at players on the U.S. team. 
uh, shouting homophobic slurs at uh, the, the gay players in the U.S. team, which, you know, T- to be fair, that's kind of what you expect when you go uh, down to uh, Central and South America. They're not necessarily the uh, most progressive, let's say, on the uh, the gender category of uh, of issues there. They're not... Ne- the social justice movement ne- never quite made its way to Central and South America, folks. Not, uh, not the greatest place to be if you are uh, not a straight, cis, white... Uh, maybe not white, but just, just a male in general down there. Either way, I'm I'm getting myself into dangerous waters here. These fans are absolutely rabid. They deserve a uh, a real NFL team down there. Happy to see the uh, international game being played there every single year now. Uh, but hey, six international game or five international games rather this year. Uh, three in London, one in Munich, one in Mexico City. Um, I guess I can't wait for the schedule reveal on on Thursday. I mean, it's you know. I just get to see which teams the Vikings play this year. I don't know. Still, still think they're probably going to end up going nine and eight or eight and nine. You know, feeling positive this year. It's it's nine and eight, nine and eight. Maybe even ten and seven. Who knows? Who knows? Maybe we'll be good. Either way, uh, that's all for the uh, scheduling portion of this program. Uh, moving right down to a couple quick hit headlines. We've got a uh, Honey Badger officially signing with the Saints on a three-year, $33 million deal. I want to say $18 million of that is guaranteed. It's essentially a two-year, $18 million deal with a third-year option. I don't know if that's a team option or a player option, but the Honey Badger is coming back home to New Orleans with the Saints. Uh, absolutely going to be a devastating defense. Talked about it last week, but... My God, that's going to be must-watch television every week just based on their, their defense alone, let alone just to see how Olave melds into that offense and how they use Taysom Hill. I mean, the Saints are just a whole lot of intrigue going forward here. Adding even more to that with the Honey Badger. Next up, we've got uh, former Pats and Dolphins linebacker Kyle Van Noy deciding he wants to see how the other coast is, signing with the L.A. Chargers. Um, another solid death pickup for them. Uh, they already had, uh, Joey Bosa and, um, Khalil Mack, which by the way, a ridiculous, ridiculous pair of pass rushers. I mean, rest in pe- I mean, you, you better get that ball out in two seconds or less if you're the opposing QB, cause you're not going to have a whole lot of time with those two guys rushing. I mean, I mean, what you double team one, you chip the other. I mean, what are you going to do? I mean, <laughs> absolute wrecking crew on that team but you had Kyle Van Noy an aging kind of linebacker guy with a lot of championship pedigree to come in um be a veteran stable presence on that defense I really like this specifically from a culture standpoint for the for the Chargers here this year they've had a whole lot of issues with being a young talented squad with no one to really lead them no one to really show them the way this really fills that that void with uh, Kyle Van Noy, a player that I think still has a couple uh, couple years left in the tank. He's not not ever going to be like this big explosive athlete, but he's he's never been that. He's always just been a really smart football player. I think he can teach a lot of the young guys a lot of stuff about the game, maybe help them progress a little bit to where you know you have a little bit of a lower bust rate as far as the draft picks are concerned. And I think you know even the young guys that are already there. I mean, you think about it. Um, not Nick Bosa. Joey Bosa um, has never really won anything in the NFL. No one in, in the, on that team has really won anything in the NFL. You bring in a guy with like Kyle Van Noy with, I believe, 
two championships under his belt, maybe three if I'm if I'm not mistaken. Um, a lot more winning, a lot more playoff experience than anyone else has had there. He can be kind of a sounding board when you know players have concerns, they have anxieties. Um, he can be a guy that can just be there to right the ship, steady everyone's minds, ease everyone into you know being that contender, being in that division that they're in where they're going to get forged in fire, uh, but they've got to find a way to survive and make it out of that first. I think a guy like Kyle Van Noy provides a whole lot in the way of culture to really, I mean, it may not show on the field, but I think his presence is going to be almost immeasurable, immeasurable benefit for the uh, the Chargers going forward here. But uh, moving on to another serious story here that we're going to stop in, maybe not hit it so quick as the last uh, couple of headlines here. Raiders team president Dan Ventrell uh, fired from his position after he claims to have repeatedly brought up concerns over hostile work environment. Um, This was an interesting one because it really came right out of the blue. Um, I think it was either Wednesday or Thursday of last week. Um, Really just out of the blue, uh, Raiders announced that Ventrell would no longer be with the team. Um, initially uh, they were cagey with the details. It looked like it might've been misconduct on his part. Um, didn't, didn't really know all the, all the details, but according to Ventrell himself, he specifically blamed Mark Davis for creating a hostile work environment in a statement that he posted on social media following the, uh, abrupt uh, departure. Um, it seemed like, you know, from an outsider's perspective, looking in, it looked like the Raiders and Mark Davis' side were trying to uh, shape the narrative to what they were wanting initially, but Ventrell decided, you know, lawyer, lead counsel uh, for the team, uh, big negotiator, saw the big picture here, quickly lawyered up, quickly put out a statement to kind of shape the narrative in his own right. I feel like kind of even preempting what the Raiders might have had in store. Um, allegedly, though... Um, Ventrell initially brought up concerns directly to Mark Davis after multiple employees came to him to lodge complaints about Davis's behavior around specifically, well, it doesn't necessarily specific, well, we'll, we'll get into it. Statement doesn't go into specific details about Davis's alleged transgressions, but it later specifies that Ventrell, Ventrell was trying to, quote, protect the organization and its female employees, end quote. So, implication here is that uh, Davis is doing some Jerry Richardson creep shit, uh, specifically, if you want me to spell it out for you. Uh, Davis was reportedly dismissive of the concerns, which led to Ventrell reporting his behavior directly to the league for improperly responding to uh, the hostile work environment complaints, which, hey, bravo to him if that's exactly how it, it turned out. I, I do know... Um, People, people tend to like to shape the narrative how they see fit in these sorts of situations. So I, th- this seems like a plausible sort of scenario. I'm not, not discounting the, the fact that this could, or the possibility this, this could all be 100% accurate on all accounts. But at the same time, he's a guy that just essentially got fired from his job after 18 years. Um... He's trying to get a case for a wrongful termination suit and get compensation out of that. Obviously, he's going to draw some battle lines and make some some hard assertions in this uh, initial statement to get the ball rolling on that front. But that that being said, 
this allegedly led to Davis firing Ventrell from his position last week, which, if true, like I said, is a textbook example of a firing without cause. And I do think Ventrell is going to end up getting either getting a settlement from Davis out of this or it's going to go to court and Davis is going to lose this. But uh, Ventrell's retained counsel appears to be gearing up for a protracted court battle in what may prove to be the final nail in the coffin of the Davis family as NFL owners. Um, Honestly, too early to speculate on the veracity of these allegations. But uh, if Davis is found in court to have created a hostile work environment or even if a, a detailed article like we've seen in the past from New York Times and Washington Post, specifically in relation to a Washington football team, now the commies, um, it's hard to see Mark Davis keeping his team uh, going forward here. I mean, it seems fairly similar, almost a a cut and dry, kind of the same sort of situation as what Jerry Richardson found himself in with the Panthers. Um, He was eventually forced to sell the team to, uh, to David Tepper. I think he might have even been a little bit preemptive on that. I don't know if he was if he was forced so much as um, he saw there was a lot of smoke happening, didn't like being in the news, and just said, somebody else take this off my hands, which David Tepper said, fuck yeah, I'll do that. I wanted to own a team for fucking ever. Uh, with that said, though, if Dan Snyder can dodge, duck, dip, dive, and dodge, yes, just dodge his way around all the shit swirling around the commies and still keep his team... I feel like Davis has got a shot of sticking around at the very least. Moving right down the list, though, hopefully that turns out well for specifically the the victims involved. Hopefully justice is served there. Um, Interested to see what uh, details filter out about that, because I would assume that some enterprising young reporter has already latched onto that, if not a bunch of them have already latched onto that to see exactly what's going on there. Interested to read the... uh, well, like I said, New York Times, Washington Post, fucking Forbes, whatever the hell. One of those articles in the next few months is going to be absolutely juicy, juicy to read on the Mark Davis front. Uh, sponsored by uh, Mr. Ventrell here, if I had to guess. We are in uh, yeah, legal posturing time, ladies and gentlemen. Don't be a pawn in someone else's legal case. That's all I got to say. Moving right down the list, though. We have got Richard Sherman reportedly joining Amazon's broadcast team for the upcoming season. Um, honestly, Richard Sherman is a guy that that frequently has some takes on Twitter where I just like just put my head in my hands and I'm just like, dude, come on, <laughs> like, like I can't tell if you're serious on this or if you're just trying like rage baiting basically on social media. I mean, it's a it's a fair strategy to get engagement going, really. Rage sells more than what uh, enthusiasm and happiness does. I'll tell you that much right now. I mean, you, you see the, the fucking, the, the ratio tweets where, you know, some tweets are getting more engagement than retweets, which, hey, I mean, that's not necessarily, doesn't necessarily look good, but I think it actually works out better for the, the algorithm for, for, for getting more engagement that way through, um, through replies. That being said, not not a social media manager. Don't know the analytics like the back of my hand there. Um, that being said, though, outside of Richard Tur- Sherman's tweeting habits, which don't get me wrong, they are annoying. Don't don't get me wrong there. But that being said, I do think in this role with Amazon, um, I think he can really excel in it. He's a guy with an incredible football mind. I mean, he is a, a long corner. Um, a guy that was a, a shutdown corner at one point. So he is, to a certain degree, a very, very good athlete. 
But for most of his time in the league, I think he stayed in using his brain, what was between his ears more than anything else, uh, coming out in the draft. I mean, he was a third-round pick, uh, played receiver at Stanford more than anything else for in his career. Um, but he made the transition to corner basically by using his brain and, and learning his way, building up that, that football IQ to a point where he can basically kind of predict what's coming, play within that, that zone scheme that he played um, – with the, with the Seahawks and that Legion of Boom defense for so long, being the shutdown corner that he was, um, bringing that, that brain, I mean, not not necessarily on the same level, but a, a lot similar to what you uh, bring to the table with, with Brady. Um, you get a guy that played the game, um, thought the game out at the highest level. If he can articulate some of that on camera, I think it's going to be a gangbusters hire for Amazon. So, uh, hey, especially after all that he's been through over the past, year or so with his with his mental health and the, the family situation um hopefully all is right i mean not not to mention all the all the injuries he's dealt with in, in his football career i think it's pretty much time to hang him up bud time to time to bring it on into pasture just just spend the rest of your days grazing out your life but i think that's you know i think it's going to end up being a good thing for for both amazon and richard sherman congrats to the guy um, hopefully I'll see more tweets about football from now on rather than your fucking political views. Cause I'm just, I'm, I'm sick of it. I'm fucking tired of it. Either way, moving right down the list, recent pro bowl corner, James Bradbury was released from the giants and what appeared to be a salary dump. Um, look for his market to be robust in the coming days. Only real reasons he was cut were because he was one due to make 20 plus million dollars. I believe it was just over 21 million next year. Uh, this way they can save uh, $10 million. Either actually, it was 11, 11 plus million dollars of that cap hit this year. They can kind of get off the books if they cut uh, James Bradbury. Um, still got to eat $10 and not $10, $10 million in dead cap, but you get $11 million of that in uh, flexibility to sign draft picks up. And secondly, and maybe even most importantly, he was brought in by a previous regime. So uh, Joe Shane, um, cue ball, Brian Dayball, um, they they don't have any any allegiance to this guy. They didn't they didn't bring him in. He's a solid corner, but he's he's being paid entirely too much right now. So solid guy, really was just recently a Pro Bowler. I think one one season previously I don't think he was a pro bowler last year really struggled last season actually but the year before that was a pro bowler I think he's going to have a robust market once he once he clears waivers might be a, a post June 1 designation sort of thing um I think either way he'll step in from day 1 and start for somebody I just can't wait to see uh, who makes their team better I feel like he's going to be in addition to a, a championship roster I believe with that $10 million uh, dead cap hit, I believe that um, the Giants are paying him like that that $10 million. Like they are they are paying that that part of his salary. Um, if he clears waivers, I think it's just that part that, that he's being paid, which leaves him to kind of go and take like a, a below market value, like one year deal with a contender to try and make a run at a Super Bowl. So, I mean, look for, um, well, Patriots aren't necessarily in, in Super Bowl territory, but hey, maybe uh, the, the Bucks are... Or someone that could possibly get in the sweepstakes. I mean, shit. The fucking Chargers have been in on 
basically every defensive free agent at this point. I assume they might want to want to get somebody like James Bradbury in there. They might not have the uh, the extra cap space to accommodate though. I mean, there's a lot of options. I'll be interested to see where he ends up. He might end up being a uh, a game changer for someone. Hey, maybe even the Vikings. Maybe even the Vikings. We'll see what happens there. But rounding out the uh, NFL headlines, we've got a list of first-round picks that signed this last week, starting with Devontae Wyatt and Quay Walker with the Packers. Goddamn Packers getting their, their boys signed before, um, I believe, voluntary OTAs have even started. Uh, maybe they start this week. I don't know. They're, they're fucking voluntary team activities either way. They're more important for the rookies, though. So having Devontae Wyatt, having Quay Walker... Signed their their first round tenders, got that out of the way. Can only be good for the team chemistry right now. Only good for their development. Um, the Solace Sauce Gardner with the Jets signed. Aiden Hutchinson signed with the Lions, and Ikki Aquanu signed with the Panthers. And uh, yeah, I believe that's just about it for the NFL headlines. Um, you know, pretty pretty quiet week on that front. Not a whole lot going on in the NFL. It is we are right dead middle of the off season. We got a bunch of OTAs starting up. Basically, all of the um, new coaches started up last week. Like you got the Vikings, uh, got the Bucks, got the fucking <laughs> fucking Raiders. You got the fucking Raiders. You got all these other fucking teams starting last week. You got even more teams starting this week. Either way. Um, I would say I'm excited, but it's the fucking off season. It's, it's the middle of May. Um, there's no hope. There's no end in sight. We are still fucking a hundred plus days away from football. Um, I, I already hate this. This is not going to be fun either way. That's, that's pretty much, uh, pretty much the last bit of stuff I got on the NFL closing out the podcast. We got the new, uh, new segment that I'm going to, I think I'm going to stick with calling it get a load of this shit uh we this week a woman gives birth at a metallica show as the band played enter sandman (laughs) which is just one of the greatest headlines of all time i mean it's something that certainly got me to click on the article i'll tell you that much right now you think that if you're 39 weeks pregnant you want to avoid high intensity situations at all costs but one woman in brazil Decided pregnancy be damned. I've waited three years. I'm going to Metallica, goddammit. Lars Ulrich is my fucking hero. So, to her and the concert venue's credit, the woman was in a special area so no one could shove the extremely pregnant woman into a mosh pit or something along those lines. But, predictably, she went into labor during the set. Uh, Initial plan was to transport her by ambulance to the hospital, but there was... Quote, no time, whatever the fuck that means. I mean, I guess there, she had a baby popping his head like, hey, what you doing, huh? Get my fucking body out of here. What's going on, man? Um, so I guess that's probably what, what was going on there. The woman ended up giving birth to her son as the band played Enter Sandman, completing the greatest, most metal birth story of all time. That kid is going to be the fucking coolest kid in the entire school. He's got the greatest icebreaker of all time. I mean, don't know what to talk about, just standing next to someone. You got a fun class. He has the best, like, first day of school fun fact of any of his classmates. Uh, his, his, his classmates are just going to be like, Oh, one time I went to the Grand Canyon 
and it was it was cool. Um, another one's gonna be like, oh, well, well, my my dad is a is a pilot. Um, that's my fun fact. My mom is a doctor. You know. You know that that's pretty cool. Meanwhile, this kid's gonna be like, yeah, I gave I was uh, I was birthed at a Metallica concert while. Uh, Lars Ulrich and James Hetfield were belting out some Enter Sandman, uh, the the hit of the, I mean, fucking three generations before me at this point. Um, honestly, <laughs> how do you not become the, the, the fucking coolest kid in school after that? I mean, by that point, there, there's a good chance that not a single kid in that school is going to know uh, who Metallica is. Uh, that being said, knowing that you were born at a concert for one of the most popular bands of all time. Way better than any other story than what other, any other, like, Jesus Christ, can't fucking say a goddamn thing today. It's way better than any other story that some fucking snot-nosed kid is going to bring to the table. I'll tell you that much right this second. Um, the woman says she wants to name the baby James Ulrich, combining the, uh, Ulrich? Ulrich? I don't, I don't fucking know. Uh, combining the names of the lead singer James Hetfield and drummer Lars Ulrich. Uh, just a word of advice, though, unless she wants her child's wages garnished by Metallica in perpetuity for copyright infringement, I would choose a different name. Just a, just a heads up, they are very, very serious about their copyright infringement. The dudes don't fuck around with people stealing their stuff, I'll tell you that much. Especially when it comes to their names, I would advise... I don't know what what what's a what's a good Portuguese Brazilian type of name. That's you know name him Paulo. Paulo's a good one. You know that's that's a good uh that maybe maybe that's that's more on the Italian side. You get it though. Just just don't name him after uh, members of Metallica because they will sue you. I mean make no mistake about it. They've they've sued people for much less before. Hot take though. Gonna don my tin foil hat. I think she went to the concert on purpose. Knowing it would induce labor. Hear me out here. Hear me out, like guys. I know. I know you're saying, "What the fuck? This guy is the most tin foil hatty conspiracy theorist motherfucker on the planet." And you may be true, but hear me out. Think about it. Any woman who is that far along in pregnancy, pregnancy wants nothing more than to just get that baby out a sap. She's basically carrying around a giant water balloon. 24-7, that's destroying her back and feet slowly while making her act and eat like an insane person. Um, I don't know if you've ever been around a person in late stages of pregnancy, but it's 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 roller coaster emotions. I'll tell you that much. Everyone, everyone around her is just trying to do the best they can, um, walking on eggshells. Egg you know, childbirth is a beautiful thing, but the final stages of pregnancy can be scary from time to time. Yes, she bought the tickets three years earlier, so this wasn't the original plan. But as the date grew, close, grew closer and she realized the concert was going to, to line up with the due date, she had to be thinking, that's a good way to get this child out of me if I'm still pregnant by then. You know, good little contingency plan at the end of the day. Plus, if she was looking at this from a big picture perspective, she'd realize that it's not only a great way to induce labor and get that baby the fuck out the paint, it's also bound to get run as a story in the news, for sure. I mean, you give you give birth during a Metallica concert, uh, the baby comes out healthy and happy. I mean, 
One, the band is going to pub that like no other, which that's exactly what they did. Two, the local news is going to get a hold of that and just run rampant of it. She accomplishes two goals with this one. Public one with one public childbirth. Give birth to a healthy baby and become a local celebrity. Maybe cash in on some uh, notoriety in the neighborhood. People are going to be a lot more apt to recognize her and possibly offer supplies and financial assistance in the wake of this story. And I can't imagine, I mean, maybe, maybe she just like, okay, I'm committed to Metallica. I just fucking love Metallica so much, which she did offer to name her kid James Ulrich, which like, you know, you don't generally do that unless you're a super fan. It is a bit of a, a, a unique situation, let's say though. She was born at the concert, so I feel like that adds a little bit of little bit of extra motivation, a little bit of extra inspiration on that front. Uh, either way, though, who knows if the baby was actually even delivered during Enter Sandman. That could just be something the woman said to make the story better. Like, no one... If she said the baby was born during Enter Sandman, who's gonna fucking correct her and say, no, 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 it was actually born during Nothing Else Matters. Um, yeah, totally, totally different, different moment altogether. Um... Yeah, no, no, no. Someone... <laughs> no, 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 no. No one's going to correct the, the pregnant lady on this one. I mean, she has free reign as to whatever the story is. And honestly, don't care either way. More power to her if she thinks that uh, that pragmatically with hormones coursing through her body. Uh, like my dad always says, don't let the facts get in the way of a good story, ladies and gentlemen. Either way, brilliant move from a monetary perspective. Questionable move from a health perspective for that child's hearing, though. Can't imagine 120 decibels of hot lightning straight to a newborn's unprotected eardrums. Can't imagine that's the greatest uh, thing for a kid's auditory development. But, hey, I'm no doctor. What do I know? Uh, all I hope is that after the baby was born, James Hadfield came over with a pair of medical scissors, cut the umbilical cord, and brought the baby up onto the stage. Then, when the baby started inevitably crying... Went straight into, hush little baby, don't say a word. Never mind that knows you heard. It's just the beast under your bed. In the closet in your hand. And then just fucking raise that baby into the sky like Simba and Lion King. Just goes into the court. Excellent. You know, fucking, I, I just imagine that's, the, that's exactly how it went down. If we're making up stories... Uh, that's my version of the story, and uh, I cannot think of a, a better way to end the podcast. That's all for this episode, ladies and gentlemen. If you enjoyed this wild ride this week, I had a whole lot of fun making this one. Uh, subscribe, leave a five-star rating so we can grow this bad boy a little bit. If you didn't enjoy it, I honestly can't blame you today. I was going out on a limb on a couple different occasions, but uh, just keep her moving, my guy and or girl. Uh, we're a growing podcast. Don't need a whole lot of negative sentiment here. Um, but, like, tell people it was good anyways, you know? I mean, fucking stumbling over the outro here. Either way, episodes are released every Wednesday, once a week through the offseason. We'll be back to twice-a-week uploads when the football is back in full swing this fall. Follow me on all my socials, at Caleb Verzak. Link will be in the description so you don't have to spell my fucked-up Eastern block name. Uh, if you want to contact the show, shoot me an email at unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. That's unqualifiedanalysis at gmail.com. Just put in all caps, business or show, to start the subject line so you can be categorized accordingly. Um, pretty much at this point, if you if you email me, you will make it on the show because you will be the first. 
So, with that said, thank you so much for tuning in to Unqualified Analysis. And as always, I've got no clue what I'm talking about. I'm in the closet.